Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming back to another episode of our Weld.com podcast. This week, I have with me Ivan Eiler. If you have not watched Metal Shop Masters on Netflix, I'm going to have Ivan introduce himself here. All right. Yeah, I'm Ivan Eiler. Um, I was on the show, and now I'm on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so tell everybody a little bit about the background, like where you're from, and how you got into the welding industry? Well, originally I was from Drummond Island. Um, my parents had 80 acres out there and we just built a sugar shack and we lived in that for a little while where we'd make maple syrup. And then they built, uh, built a house on the property with some of the timber from the land. Um, then, then things went south, you know, with my parents. Um, my dad kind of uh, kept the house. We didn't have anywhere to go. And so me and my mom and my brother and sister, we all just piled everything we owned into the van and uh, we moved out to New Mexico because that's where I had an aunt living. So we went and lived out there for a while. And, and then when I got a little older, I, we ended up finding our way back to Michigan. So now I'm in St. John's. And as far as how I got into the welding community, I've always done art ever since I was a kid. It was always, you know, whether it was drawing or painting or sculpting something out of clay, I just always had to be creating something. And so welding came about the same way for me. I just wanted to be able to build something out of metal. I was trying to build a motorcycle. And so I needed to learn how to weld. You know, some people collect stamps. I like to collect skills. So, <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so do you remember whenever you first used a welder for the first time? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I was, uh, I was about probably 14, 15, um, somewhere around there. And uh, I went to the high schools. They had, they had like a keep kids out of trouble program over the mm -hmm. summer. And so you could get like a summertime job to keep you busy. So I started working as a janitor at the high school and I went um, to, he was the, uh, I'm not really sure what you would call it, but he was the metal shop teacher, Mr. Bernash. And I, I went up to the high school and I talked to him and I told him, hey, look, I know how to, uh, you know, I know how to weld, know how to use this equipment and stuff, but I just don't have any access to it. Do you mind if I come in after school? And I think he realized pretty early on that I had absolutely no idea what I was doing and that I had just made up the fact that I did. <laughs> but to his credit, he just let me, uh, let me stay there and play with the stuff and, and learn it. I think he probably just got a kick out of somebody so young being so interested in, in welding and metal fabrication. And so that's where I got my start, just playing around after school. So what was the first thing that you welded? Was it just that you were just interested in it or did you have a specific project that you needed to learn the skill for? Yeah, no, the first thing I welded was actually parts on a motorcycle frame. Um, what I did with the money that I was making from that summer job was I, I bought this old 1970 Honda CB 750 and I was going to build it into this chopper and so I needed uh, needed a way to be able to do that and and so that's what I started with was that frame started making pieces and parts and and started to build that and that's that's really what got me going. So as far as like the skills that you've been able to learn over the years have you been able to do all of the different processes, MIG, TIG, stick, um, obviously you plasma cut too and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I actually, uh, I haven't really been well versed in all of them. Um, 
I have tried a lot of different processes, but I don't do a lot of stick. That's more like for structural welding. It's not something I do a lot of. Um, I would say, you know, TIG welding obviously is my favorite because you have this full control over, over what you're doing. It's kind of like the airbrushing of the, the welding world. You know, you're feeding in your filler material at the speed you want to bring it in at. You're also controlling the amperage, you know, of your heat as you're moving. And so you have just full control to be able to do what you want with the weld as you're building it. But at the same time, I would say, you know, I still do mostly MIG welding just because when you're just trying to put pieces together, it's a very fast process. It's also a good process to start at. That's where I started was MIG welding. It's kind of like the hot glue gun of the welding world. <laughs> But I also yes. do some forge welding, also do some uh, uh, torch welding. So have you played around like with how to manipulate the settings on machines to get different kinds of textures, like whenever you're doing sculptures and stuff like that? Um, no, I don't do too much of that. Um, usually what I'm doing is as I'm as I'm making things, it would be more along the lines of, just using the welding as a way to connect things and build things up. And then I can go back and shape things out if I need to. Um, but I haven't actually tried to like, let's say increase my spatter to get, get textures or anything like that. But that's a, it's a pretty good idea though. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Sean actually said that we have um, one of our co-hosts. Um, his name is, well, he doesn't like to be called that. He might get mad at me if he listens to this. His name is Mr. Sawbladehead. <laughs> I stand corrected. Mr. Sawbladehead. Um, he actually said that his dad, when he taught him how to weld, he actually would go over and mess with the welder on purpose. So they would see like stuff like, you know, what could happen if the settings were wrong and you could see spatter and porosity mm. and all that stuff. And then as he, yeah. And as he became a sculptor, he would purposefully do things like, you know, make the settings incorrect to get certain effects. You know gotcha. what I mean for his, yeah. Yeah, for yeah nice. Effect. That's clever. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I watched the show. I binged it in two days and then I was like down to the last 15 minutes and I was like at the tread on the treadmill at the gym watching it. <laughs> and I have to ask you, like, where do you pull your create creativity from? Where do I pull it from? That's a yeah, tricky question. So, well, I mean, so you you came up with those ideas so quick. Like you like it seemed like you immediately and maybe it's the show and maybe it's how it was edited because I know that the time was pretty accurate like whenever they said like this is how much time you have. Oh yeah, no, they captured did, yeah. that. And it yeah. just seemed like your ideas came to you really quickly and you had a plan in your head and you were just ready to go. Yeah, well, I mean, there's always things just bouncing around in my head, and it's just kind of how I live my life. So <laughs> it's just a matter of taking things that might have already been bouncing around up there and and just bringing them out because it seemed like a good opportunity to do so. But, uh, but yeah, no, a lot of it was just yeah, just trying to uh, figure out the best way to to do the challenge. I mean, nobody works the way that we were working on that show. You just mm -hmm. don't. You know, and if, if anybody listening to this wants to see the best work from the artists that were actually on the show, go and look them up on social media because mm -hmm. it's a whole world different than what people saw on the show. So if you enjoyed that, you'd like a lot more even what you what you'd actually see when they don't have crazy constrictions and time frames. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I, I would say for me, a lot of it is just 
just the act of creating. I just want to be able to build things. It's what I really love to do. And trying to mimic motions in nature. I mean, kinetics is something that I do. It's just something that I love. So, you know, I pull a lot from that, you know, just watching things, looking at things, paying attention, wanting to know how the world works, and then wanting to be able to tie that into the artwork that I love to do. Yeah, it's funny because you you really stood out against everyone else because of that because of the kinetics and because like whenever you think of metal that's really the last thing that you think about is not fluid motion you think stiff rigid hard you know it's metal and you just had a way of making things look softer and like especially like the tree whenever you did the tree and then whenever they it was like the illusion one whenever they you had to have the shadow and stuff like that that was amazing whenever I looked at that when it was finished I kept looking at you like wow like how is he going to be able to get that to make that figure Mm. and were you questioning that like is this going to really turn out or were you confident that whole time like that this is going to work Oh, no, I'm never confident in anything that I do in that regard. I mean, I'm confident in myself. I wouldn't say I'm cocky by any means, but, you know, but no, I was definitely, I, every single episode, I, I, I even remember uh, <laughs> the other contestants on the show, they were uh, saying things to me like, okay, yeah, we're just not going to listen to you anymore because every time I was going like, oh, man, I don't know, I think I might be going home on this one because, I mean, for me, the best way to find what you're capable of is to push yourself farther to do something where you honestly think there's a good chance that you won't be able to pull it off. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then you'll find out where that limit is. And that's just what I was doing. I've never done anything like that for that shadow piece before. I'd seen people who had done things like that, but it's usually something abstract and then you shine a light at it and you get an image, but Mm -hmm. they were asking for the sculpture to be one thing, the shadow to be another thing. And I'd never even done artwork like that in the first place. So no, I didn't know that it would turn out. And uh, to be honest with you, um, and I'm sure everybody else would, would probably uh, agree with me on this. I was actually not really that proud of any of the things I made on the show. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you had to pick a favorite thing that you did on the show, which one would you say was your favorite? I would say the shadow piece. Yeah. The shadow piece was your favorite? Because yeah. of the because of the meaning behind it, well, because of the simple fact that it's just something that I was trying to, uh, yeah, trying to not pay attention to. I mean, I have I had this huge opportunity. I'm out in California. There's this this show going on, and and I'm part of it, and it's you know it's a an honor, a privilege, and I'm just really excited to be there, and I want to be able to do that. But at the same time, like I'd only been, you know, on the set for. I mean, we weren't even on the set. That's the thing. We were actually, we had to quarantine because of COVID. So I was stuck in a hotel room and I'd only been there for a day or two when I found out that my dog had passed away and I knew that I was going to be stuck in that hotel room quarantining before we could even go on to set. So I had these three small wall or four small walls and, uh, and just nothing to do, but to, uh, you know, to think about that and the fact that I wasn't there and the fact that I wasn't even going to be able to bury her. And so yeah, it was uh, therapeutic, I guess. Yeah, I'm sorry yeah. for that. I know how hard that must be. I mean, our dogs, we have a puppy, but we have an older one who's almost 13, and we dread that day. I mean, I know an animal is like a child. Yeah, she was my best friend, yeah. Aww. 
Yeah, that I could tell that it meant a lot to you. And I could tell like whenever, whenever you can make an emotional connection to what you're making, it just makes it that much better. Yeah. I mean, it, it came across through the TV screen. That's what I was trying to say is that it definitely came across. And then you had more technical kind of challenges whenever you guys had to build that musical instrument. Mm-hmm. Oh, that what you had in your head. And when you guys were working on that, I was like, that is really hard. Like he had a crazy idea how that's the one where I was like, how is he going to pull that off? Mm-hmm. And then whenever you kept you were breaking down that piano (laughs) that was a lot harder than you thought it was going to be huh yeah it definitely was yeah i've been into pianos before but i've never tried to actually disassemble one completely so that was yeah i was not expecting the uh the amount of effort that was going to take without the uh, without the right tools for the job but but yeah i still got it done yeah you got it done that was like down to the wire and then the last challenge where did you even come up with that concept? Well, to be honest with you, it was actually uh, um, uh, a friend of mine from high school. She told me that my spirit animal was a bison because I was ah. big and soft and gentle and furry. <laughs> and so, uh, so I just kind of that always stuck with me. But, uh, but really, that's kind of what popped into my head. But the reason why I wanted to build it was because they said build a post-apocalyptic vehicle. And I started thinking automatically about these old like 80s B films and things. Yeah, because you know, my, my mom would never let me watch, you know, like, stuff like that. You know, when we were little kids growing up, it was always just cartoons and, you know, Disney films and stuff. And, you know, and she was a single mom. And so I think she was just trying to do the best she could with that. And but my uncle, uh, her her brother, if we had time alone, we'd watch things like Conan the Barbarian and stuff like that. And so I'm thinking, you know, oh, this post-apocalyptic wasteland. And I'm thinking old 80s B films, 70s B films. And and I just thought like a, a bison with spikes all over him and like riding out on his back would just be really cool. And uh, I didn't even realize until later when I watched the show that they were like saying all the stuff about like zombies grabbing me off the back of it and eating me. I was like, I, I when they first told me what the challenge was going to be i was thinking of something completely different than what they were saying but to be honest with you i still would have built the same thing anyways because once i've got something in my head that i want to build yeah i won't let it go yeah like i knew i probably wasn't going to be able to pull that off in time but at the same time it's like it doesn't really matter i have more of a desire to build what i want to build than to just try to then to conform or just it's not even the conform thing it's more of just like a, an obsessive compulsive thing it's like this idea popped into my head and i just couldn't let it go I was like that's what i gotta build so i'll just do me and if i go down i'll go down swinging <laughs> yeah that makes so much more sense that you say that because i knew you were on a different page because when you think post-apocalyptic you think zombies and like futuristic kind of looking things and i was like yeah, wow, he's, he's really going he's <laughs> really going back in the 80s. Yeah, i really I was, was thinking, thinking that and i was thinking like old school like prehistoric kind of vibes yeah. and i was like okay yeah, yeah. i see where this is going <laughs> yeah it was yeah, cool. exactly yeah it, it turned yeah. out really cool i i mean i liked it i liked watching you build it and because whenever you were put in those positions where, so obviously it's not just on the show where you have an idea and you start building it and then things 
go wrong or things aren't going, you know, as fast as you would like, or you have problems and you have to pivot and improvise and stuff. So aside from the show now, whenever you're, you know, building art in your studio, what, what are some things that come up that, you know, are unexpected? Well, I mean, really when you're building something, you know, in your own shop, it's really not a matter of like what comes up that's unexpected. There's always things that are unexpected. I mean, you're learning new things every day, even just through what you're doing. And that's kind of the point for me is to just like try and push it farther and figure things out as you go. So, so it's not that any of this stuff is really unexpected. It's just more along the lines of going through the paces and finding, you know, through trial and error, how to actually get something to, to do or be, or look the way that you want it to. So, um, yeah, there's always times that I'm having to go back and look at something and change things. I also don't usually just start out drawing something or knowing exactly what I'm going to create. I'll start with sketches and, and ideas. But the thing is, once you start to build something, you really have to let it build itself. Even when I back to back when I used to build motorcycles, it was the same way. You have an idea, but you start to build it. And then once you can actually see it in the real world to scale three-dimensionally, then you can start to see where things might need to be a little different. You kind of just have to let it build itself as you go. Otherwise you're going to end up forcing something and it'll look forced. So, mm -hmm. so there's unexpected things all the time, but it's just, uh, it's just a matter of looking at what it is that you're doing and trying to find a way to make it look the way that you want it to look and do what you want it to do. So as far as like work goes, like, you know, your profession, you have your own studio where you do art and do you do that full-time? Yeah. Yeah. I build my artwork full-time. Yeah. How long have you been doing that full-time? Uh, well, I've had the shop here since 2009, um, but I opened it up as a motorcycle shop. I was originally building parts for motorcycles and there was all those, uh, you know, TV shows, Orange County Choppers, bike mm -hmm. build off, stuff like that. And so, so a lot of people out there wanted to build their own motorcycles, but you know, it could be really expensive to jump into. So there was a lot of people buying up these old Harley Sportsters for a few grand, you know, or 1500 bucks or whatever they could get them for. And then they wanted to customize them, but they're just kind of doing it on the side. They don't really know a lot about it. And so there was a market for building like components to help people build their own motorcycles. So I started building hardtails, bolt-on and weld-on hardtails. And then I started, uh, um, started making seat kits it was basically all the stuff that you needed. I made like a how-to DVD that came with it. And it had, uh, you know, had the leather, the pan, the foam, all the tools, the hammer. I mean, literally everything you needed. You just had to get yourself a bowl out of your cupboard and fill it with water. And everything else you needed came in the box. And you could tool and, and lace your own custom leather seat. And so it was literally just based around trying to help people build their own things because... I'd been there before I'd done that before and had to start from the ground up. And I realized, man, if I had this, if I had that, this would really help me out a lot. So mm -hmm. those are the things I was building. What were the things that I wished I would have had when I was younger starting out? And then those were the things I was trying to build so that other people could, could do that. And that's, that's where a lot of the money came from to get the shop going. But what I started doing was uh, building metal sculptures and I started that kind of right off the bat just because I've always been making art, like I said. So, you know, I had things in galleries when I was really young, um, little metal sculptures, never really sold anything, but I just like to make things on the side and I just take them to the city and, you know, find a gallery and 
the galleries always love sculptors. There's there's way more painters than there are sculptors. If you're a painter, it's hard to get your stuff in the gallery. If you're a sculptor, they'll pretty much take anything you give them. So, <laughs> so it worked out in my favor in that regard because I tried to submit paintings before they got rejected, but never had a sculpture get rejected. So I was doing that and putting sculptures outside and I'm just kind of doing my thing. And uh, I met this guy who came to my shop. He did flooring. His name was Ian. And him and his partner, Rich, they were, um, you know, just coming in and hanging out because of the bike stuff. And they both rode motorcycles and were into building motorcycles. And so I needed a new floor in the shop. So they came in one day and I was talking to him and I said, Hey, like, you know, I need this new floor out here, but I don't really have the money for it, but you know, let's trade. I'll buy the materials and everything. You guys come in, do the labor, put in the flooring for me. And then I'll work on your motorcycles for you and do whatever you need and whatever you want. And we'll just trade labor. So they both agreed to that and they came in and they did the floor and it's still out there. It's a gorgeous floor still, but, uh, Rich had me like hard tailors bike. And, you know, I put a fender on it for him and cut that down and reshaped it and, and just kind of stretched and lowered his bike and chopped it out. And, and then I asked Ian what he needed or what he wanted, you know, for a trade for the labor for putting in the floor. And he told me, I want you to do scrap fest with me. And I said, what's scrap fest? And he says, Oh, it's this, it's this art show in Lansing. They go to a scrapyard and they grab metal and then they got to build something out of it. And, and then they judge them and you can, you know, win money at it and stuff. And I've never heard of it before, but I mean, how perfect is that? Like, yeah, you want me to build something with you, some artwork for this, this art event. That sounds amazing. Especially because yeah. uh, when I ask him his reason, Later, uh, he said, you know, a couple of things like one, he was just like, well, I didn't really want to take advantage. I didn't mind doing the floor. And then I didn't want to take advantage of you. And I also feel like if you did scrap best with me, we'd win. <laughs> and so, <Yeah. laughs> so that's, so that's why I did it. And uh, we went out there and we did scrap best and we did win. And then uh, we kept doing it after that and kept winning. And, uh, and then that started getting recognition. And that's how I started really getting into the public sculptures. So a lot of, a lot of the money that I have coming in, a lot of the, the work that I do is like large public sculptures, large public metal sculptures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but that's really what got that started was, was just that just needing floor and talking to somebody. Wow. That's yeah. pretty cool. So what yeah. are some of the, like, everybody will be able to, we'll tell them how to find you obviously on Instagram and stuff like that. And people will be able to check out your work. But so what are some of the sculptures that you have, you know, out there in the community? Are they only local or have you built things um, for other places around the country? Uh, not a, well, not a lot around the country. I've got one in Louisiana. Um, it's in Kenner, Kenner, Louisiana. Uh, that's a bunch of seagulls taking flight, kind of like they were, you know, spooked off the ground and scattered up into the air. Um, but uh, other than that, the, all the large public sculptures I have are in Michigan. Um, I've got one at the state capitol. And that's a, a large head with a bunch of gears coming out of it and gears in the head. And that's all that all turns. That was a portrait of a dreamer. I did that one down there. That's a, a huge sculpture. And then I uh, did one by the Lansing Airport. I uh, did one up in, uh, up in Baldwin. Made the world's largest brown trout, actually. So the world's largest brown trout sculpture, which the funny thing was, was that was one of the only ones, because typically I don't like to build things unless I'm, you know, coming up with it, unless I'm actually going through that whole process. So 
So I don't usually build things when somebody tells me what it is they want. It's more along the lines of like, we have some money, we want some artwork, what can you build us? And then you design something based on that space for what you think would actually be a good fit for that. And then they tell you whether or not they like it and whether or not you have the job. But for this one, Baldwin, you know, is they're big into the brown trout. They were the first first place in Michigan to introduce brown trout into the rivers. And, and that was, you know, hundred and whatever years ago. And so that's like their whole thing. Like even their street signs have brown trouts on them. So they, mm-hmm. they, they already knew they were like, we want the world's largest brown trout sculpture. And I just got a kick out of that. And, and uh, the hardest part at first was trying to find out where are there other brown trout sculptures and what's the biggest one? And just to figure out how big I have to make the thing. Yeah. Cause I was yeah, like, well, I what's, yeah. <laughs> I don't think you could just get out like the Guinness book of like world records and like find no, it. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, so that's what I had to do. And uh, I, I found it in Gore, New Zealand of all places. And uh, I, I guess it was built back in the eighties. It was like fiberglass or something. And I was asking them like, how big is it? And then just made mine five feet bigger, <laughs> nice. which I told, I told them I was going to do. I wasn't being facetious about it, but, um, but yeah, the, the way that I built it, the way that I created it, I built the frame structure and it was like a, just like a grid work and like a skeletal structure and then just put panels on the outside of it. So there's a lot of negative space. I've always really appreciated and liked and, and painted a lot with the use of negative space. And so I started introducing that into my sculptures and that, that brown trout was the first large public sculpture that I used a lot of negative space. And I did another one up for uh, big rapids. It's a black bear that's climbed up in a tree. And uh, same thing with that one, a lot of, lot of use of uh, that framework and that negative space so that your mind kind of fills in the gaps. And yeah, I like that. Yeah, I'm going to have to talk to my, I have relatives in Michigan. They live like at the northern part of Michigan. I'm going to have to message my uncle and ask him if he can go find some of your sculptures. It'll give him something to do. <laughs> Where so, are they at in Michigan? I don't know what the name of the city is that he's at. I I just know that it's very north. Like there's like a beach like up there. So I know that they have some kind of lake or something nearby. Yeah. Is it lower peninsula or upper peninsula? They say UP when they're talking about Michigan or? No. If they're in the lower peninsula, they'd probably be real close to that brown trout because Baldwin's pretty far up there. It's about two hours north of me. Coloma. I'll be honest with you. I don't know where Coloma is. (laughs) (laughs) But it might be close to Baldwin. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. (laughs) Big Rapids and Baldwin, they're both pretty close to each other. So I have some exciting news. Lincoln Electric, you guys know, they offer everything you need for welding and cutting, filler metals, automation, weld fume control, and safety and PPE needs. We've partnered with them so that we could give you guys some promo codes to use. Weld.com 10 will give you 10% off equipment and weld.com 20 will get you 20% off gear and accessories. Weld.com is spelled out W-E-L-D-D-O-T-C-O-M and then you just add the 10 or the 20 and these codes are valid until December 31st of this year 2021 and they are valid only at store.lincolnelectric.com and be sure to share on social media using hashtag WeldRedNation. It's near like north of chicago like northeast of chicago 
Gotcha. Okay. Well, that might actually be even south of me then. I'm not sure. Yeah. But if it wasn't, they, yeah, Lansing, they, Lansing's right there. Yeah. The thing about Michigan is there's lakes everywhere. We're literally, yep. oh, yeah. We're surrounded by them. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So you could be in the south and the north, wherever you're at. If you're out, yeah, out of red, you, yeah, they're you're on the far left side, far yeah, gotcha. left side, right above, um, like by Chicago. So, but I'll gotcha. have to mention this to them for sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So question for you. So mm-hmm. our audience, mostly on weld.com, I'm sure that you've seen, you know, weld.com sometime along the way, you oh, know, yeah. the yeah. welding videos and stuff. Most of our audience is um, beginner welders, their students, their hobbyists and, and professionals too, people that are welders that want to either learn how to get better at something or learn new skills. And um, my question is, if there was somebody who is artsy and might be interested in starting to work with metal what is like some advice you could give to them starting off from the point of going and getting a welder so start there like they don't know what to get they don't know how they're going to go about it what's some advice sure yeah Um, my first advice would be is if you can find somebody who already has a, a welder like preferably a mig welder that's a good place to start it's very easy you won't get too discouraged. You can, you can weld very easily with it, even if they're not great welds at first. And if you have a friend who has a MIG welder, even if it's just a little 110 unit or something, and they could also give you a little bit of advice on it. So that would be a good way to get started because you would have somebody there that could give you a hand. You'd also have access to the machine without actually buying one. So you could get a feel for it first and decide you know, kind of uh, where you were at with that. Now, if you don't have access to anybody who has a welder, what I would say is if you're just starting out with metal and you want to start welding things together and making metal art, just try and just get online, look up a lot of different, uh, a lot of different reviews of really affordable welders, one tin welders, something that you can get hooked up. You could just run the flux core. You just have to know right off the bat that your welds are going to be spattery. It's going to be dirty. And like, don't worry about that. You're just learning anyway, so that's okay. But if you start with something that's affordable and see if you actually really want to stick with it and if you keep going with it, then jump into a more expensive machine. I mean, even with a small, even with a small MIG welder, you could spend a couple grand on one easy. And so if you go a really cheap route, but with something that has decent reviews, and that's really important. The reviews are important because the first welder I ever bought was like a, a 110 Campbell Housefield welder back when I was like 16 and uh, I had to put it on layaway at tractor supply and this thing was just it was so bad that I was convinced that I was just awful at welding <laughs> and it wasn't until I actually uh, uh, got myself a, a Lincoln that I realized oh no actually I'm, I'm really good at this it was the welder <laughs> <laughs> oh it was yeah. the, it was the, it was the machine okay it was the machine oh yeah big time yeah you could you couldn't barely do anything with that it, I I don't even know how they could sell that and call it a welder but but nowadays there's places like Harbor Freight and they have welders that are decent that are still cheap like you know within hundreds of dollars instead of you know instead of a thousand dollars and mm-hmm. and if you start with something that you can see decent reviews on that people are getting decent welds with, um, then that's a good place to start because yeah, you could go out and buy a welder for, for a couple hundred bucks and be able to, you know, get yourself into a little bit of trouble with it. You start watching YouTube videos, things like that. That's something that's really nice that I didn't have when I was younger that 
that's there now is just being able to go out and, uh, you know, like actually watch videos of people doing the stuff and explaining the stuff like what you said, but like with your audience, I mean, there's, there's so much knowledge out there in the world and it's at our fingertips now, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I was lucky enough that that stuff started coming up when I was still pretty young. Like I'm, when I say young, I mean like when I was, you know, 16 and stuff, this is before there was a, you know, I mean, I remember pictures coming up on computers where just like did a little, did a little, you had to like watch one line at a time until you finally had an image oh, <laughs> on yeah. a website. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like every website was just like a white screen with blue text or something. And, Are we talking about uh, still getting discs in the mail to get like hours of oh, internet? Oh, yeah. AOL. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. AOL yeah. discs. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, yeah, yes, I'm, uh, I'm 36 if I haven't already, you know, painted. We're the same age. Yeah, we're the same age. I'm literally going to be 37 on November 4th. Nice. <laughs> Hell yeah. When's, your, when's your birthday? July 10th. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so I'm a little older. Oh, God. <laughs> you might not be. I might just be really bad at math. I don't know. I think I'm 36. <laughs> I don't remember my age sometimes either, but last year I kept saying I was 30 six all last year and then my Mm. kids were like no you're not so I literally got to be 36 two years in a row because I kept saying it but now I know for sure I'm 36 (laughs) yeah I knew Uh, whenever you said that I knew you had to be around the same age because I definitely remember remember, yeah yeah. (laughs) and a like instant messenger like you know Mm -hmm. like brb yeah 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 and so that's like when the youtube started you know really becoming a thing you know, I got in a little early on that. So, uh, so when I started the shop, I started the shop here when I was, um, 23 and basically what had happened was I, I was a tattoo artist originally. So I was oh. about, about 17. I started tattooing cause I was always trying to find a way to make money off my art and we were, yeah. you know, we were poor kids. So I didn't, you know, we didn't have any money or anything and I wasn't college wasn't in the cards. So I just wanted to be able to do my art and make a living. So tattooing made sense. So I started an apprenticeship when I was 17 and just started doing that. Um, and as I, as I was doing that, the economy started falling apart and people couldn't pay their rent. So they weren't getting tattoos. So at that point I moved on to a factory job and then the factory shut down. I moved on to another factory that one shut down. And so, you know, I, I didn't really, have many options at one point and so I just walked down to the end of the street and got a job at the gas station and at that point it was literally like uh, well there's there's nothing left to lose like in 750 an hour to clean urinals and hot dog roller grills and sell people gasoline in the middle of the night so why not start my shop so so I decided to do it then and uh yeah that's that's really how I got uh, that's really how I got rolling you know, motorcycles were something I was already building on the side. And it seemed like a way for me to be able to build my artwork, because in my opinion, a motorcycle is, you know, a rolling piece of art, you get mm-hmm. into weld, you get into sculpt, you get into new metal shaping, painting, leather work, all these different artistic aspects, but there's a market for it. And back then, especially there was a market for it. Mm-hmm. And so that was just what I did to, uh, to be able to find a way to do my artwork, do what I loved and have a market for it. But but being able to sculpt, make large sculptures, to be able to make kinetic sculptures, things like that for a living, like that to me, even back then was a dream because that was really what I wanted to do. And even with the spare time that I would have when I wasn't working on motorcycles, I would spend it just building random things that have been stirring around in my head all day. And so it's, yeah, it's been like a, a real dream come through to be able to have like kind of found a way to 
to build this, you know, career from, uh, from nothing and be able to find myself in the position where, where I wanted to be. Yeah. That's something to be proud of. You yeah. came a long way and I love your story and I appreciate you sharing it with us for sure. No, of course. Yeah. I feel like, especially, I feel like the audience that we have, that there are going to be a lot of people that listen to this that can connect with it because I know that there are a lot of people that are younger and um, we talk about people not wanting to enter skilled trades, but I mean, being a sculptor and doing art and working with metal and welding, like in that aspect is another path, you know what I mean? So to make, you know, more people aware that they could possibly make money with art, because think about how many kids, I mean, whenever they're in school and they're artists and their parents are like, no, you can't do that for a living or somebody who wants to be an actor or a singer. They're like, you know, you can't do that. You have to pick a job. I think that your story is, um, proof that if you work hard and you know you're resilient that you can make it into a job and be successful about it so I think that it's a good thing to share well absolutely I mean at the end of the day the way I see it is if you if you could sit down and think to yourself what is it that I would do with the rest of my life if I could do anything I wanted and money didn't matter and I ask people that question sometimes in conversation mm-hmm and the answer I get back a lot of times is, well, yeah, but money does matter. And it's like, okay, yeah, but pretend it doesn't. Mm-hmm. What would you do? You can do anything in the world. And then you'd be surprised how many people don't have an answer to that. That's the biggest, hardest part right there. If you can find the answer to that question, then just start taking baby steps. You don't have to quit your job to follow that. You don't have to change everything that you're doing to get to that point. All you have to do is know what it is that you would want if you could have it and then just start finding little ways to get there you know i mean i started building hardtails because a friend of mine bought a bunch of cheap hardtails and they were junk and i just told him one day like i could build you a better one than this and tom was like okay well if you could build me a better one i'd buy it off you and so i went back to the garage and i I built him one and and then i started building them and selling them and And that's the whole thing. It's like you can take little steps to take directions to find ways to get to where you want to be. But at the end of the day, if you're not really actually doing what you want to do with your life, then what's the point? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's a reason why people have midlife crises. If you if you get to a point where you just realize, like, I've got the bills paid and I've kept the bills paid. But. But what the hell am I doing? This isn't what Mm -hmm. I want to be doing. And and at that point, who cares about the bills? It doesn't matter anymore. There's. There's only so much time you have on this earth and you can keep the bills paid doing a million different things. Just do what makes you happy and find a way to make the money come. Yeah. You definitely have to be happy in what you're doing. You can't wake up every day dreading the day because it's not good. It's not good for your, for your mind. It's not good for your sleep, your health or any of that. And uh, a fun fact is that usually people will have three major career changes throughout their lifespan. There are some people who, of course, you know, start doing one thing and they do it for their whole lives, but most people go through career changes. And I think that that's also an audience that we have. We have a lot of older people, like people who are maybe not yet retired, but they're looking for a hobby or something that will make them happy and something that they always wanted to do. And that's actually people that are interested in getting into welding too. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I've heard quite a bit of um, 
like whenever you ask like our instructors, like what the mix is in age, it's all different ages. And there are a lot of older people that are interested in it as well for, for no, these absolutely. kind of reasons. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. I've actually, uh, I've been tossing around the idea of actually starting a welding school here at my shop because when COVID hit, I had to shut down the motorcycle side. So I'm mm -hmm. just doing sculptures now and have been uh, since then. But even before then I was building large um, public sculptures, been doing that for, uh, well, since uh, it's 2014, 2015, somewhere around there's like the first large public sculpture I got. Mm -hmm. But because of COVID and having to shut down the shop, just didn't have enough money coming in to keep the motorcycle side of the shop running. So I had to shut all that down. But, uh, but I still have this other side to the shop because I added on and I built this whole space so that I could build these large sculptures. I have like a four-story tower. Oh, just wow. For build, just for building things tall. Yeah, it was like yeah. A, a crane up at, at the top of it. Well, well, the other side of the shop, I wanted to keep that clean because back when I first started the shop, I did all the fabrication on one side and all the uh, mechanical work on the other side with Milt, my head mechanic. But that was all in a two-car garage off the shop. And so it was very compact. And so when I added the extension on the shop, we just called this side the dirty shop. So you go through the dirty shop and then you've got the, uh, the storefront and then the clean shop, which is that two-car garage. But since closing down the motorcycle shop, it's just a space that's just full of stuff. It's just like a storage unit at this point. And so I want to clear that all out and get welders back there. And the whole idea behind that school actually started because of a lot of uh, older women were actually coming to the shop, seeing the things that I would just set outside made out of junk metal and scrap metal and stuff. And, and they were saying like, this is something that I would be interested in learning how to do. Do you, do you ever teach this stuff? Mm -hmm. And so it was, that was actually what got me started was, yeah, just older people that were looking for hobbies that wanted to be able to, uh, to make some things. And, and that's, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a huge part of it. You could be young, you could be old. It doesn't really matter if you, Mm -hmm. If you have a desire to try and do something like that's, that'd be a great way to do it. And so that's, yeah, I'm, I'm considering uh, hopefully by the spring having a, a school open here to be able to teach welding, because that's the other thing too, is, you know, you don't need to go to college and get certified as a welder. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of book work. There's a lot of stuff that you're going to learn when you're going through that process that you don't need to know to put a few things together and make yourself some art for your lawn or whatever you want to do. And so I figured if I offered classes, I could make them more affordable than somebody going to a college and getting certified. And at the same time, they could, uh, you know, still learn the things that they wanted to learn without having to go through that entire process and years of schooling to get a degree in it. Cause you don't really need a degree if you're just trying to make some artwork. And so, yeah, I could offer advanced classes, but also some, yeah, just simple ones you know, still run you through the paces and here's the machine, here's how it works, here's all your settings, here's what you need to know, yep. here's what you're looking for, here's what's happening as you weld and the physical process. So, yeah. That's awesome. You should definitely do that. That's, I mean, the more people that, because here's, here's the big thing and what I noticed about you and most of the people that we bring on here have, you know, obviously if you're willing to go on a podcast and share your story and give advice, that means that you're willing to help people who would approach you and say, Hey, I'm starting out and you would offer advice to somebody. And Absolutely. I mean, the more people that are willing to step up in the community 
no matter what the process is of the profession and share that information, the more people who are going to get involved, you know what I mean? If people are, you know, like, I don't have time for this, or they don't answer their messages, then that's not going to help the situation as far as getting more welders into, you know, the workforce and stuff like that too. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there really is something beautiful about welding. I mean, once you start doing it, you'll know right off the bat whether or not it's for you or not, but it's Mm -hmm. when you're the kind of person who just, get started at it and it grabs a hold of you it's because of that there's this again an elemental aspect to it i mean you're you're taking something you know as you said earlier something that's just seen as this you know hard cold piece of metal Mm -hmm. and that's how a lot of people see metal if if you've never worked with it before or done anything with it and so seeing yourself actually like physically changing that and the speed with which that happens is like a very yeah, it's a very like visceral reaction. It's it's very mm-hmm. uh, very satisfying. It feels like you're like commanding the elements, and it's uh, yeah, it's addictive. <laughs> yeah. So, what kind of you have plans to do the lessons and stuff? And you obviously have work that you're doing right now. Are you working on any cool projects right now? Uh, yeah, I'm actually going to be starting a uh, a large bonsai tree that's going to go in front of uh, Provision Living in East Lansing. And that's going to be a, uh, a large piece that's, uh, you know, that's there just like as a little community space for people to go out and, and sit around. Uh, it's, uh, it's like a retirement home type of yeah, thing. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, so that'll be good. Um, but also one of the things that I realized was I've had a lot of people asking me like, I really love your stuff. I like your artwork. Where can I go to purchase your artwork? And mm-hmm. then I would, say well i have this piece of that piece for sale but you know they're out of a lot of people's price ranges and so one of the things i'm going to start doing is i'm actually going to start making like small series of sculptures so like i'll make a hundred of this let's say and then try and get the prices down so that it's like more affordable to everybody so i can you know also get some money in through that and then and then also be able to uh yeah to 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 share your work yeah, yeah. something other that people can afford yeah yeah for sure your work is definitely something that people would love to have because it's different you know it's not definitely not like anything you could get anywhere else so they're you know more unique and I like the stories behind them if you do those you should definitely like write something about it so then it's more of like a conversation piece do you know what mm-hmm. I mean That's a really and I idea, think yeah. I think that'll be a really good like touch to selling something no yeah that's a good idea yeah Yeah. you're welcome so you're gonna make an i this is what we're gonna do we're gonna make an imdb page so that we can get you some acting gigs yeah yeah. (laughs) all right (laughs) if they what is the one show there's like there's a movie that oh boondock saints yeah you could definitely play a character on if they ever oh, have a I? sequel. Yeah, <laughs> they did have a sequel. It was terrible. <laughs> oh, okay, the first. Well, I only watched the first one. I'm telling you what, you might have an acting <laughs> career coming up pretty soon. Hey, if somebody asked me to, I wouldn't say no. All right. I mean, that's, that's literally just like uh, you know, one of the nice things about the show coming out was mm-hmm. was finding this community of people that exist, like finding you guys. You know, mm-hmm. finding because I, you know, obviously I'd heard of weld.com before, but there's only a handful of these things that I heard of, and I didn't really realize the community that was out there. Mm-hmm. And it's been like welcoming me in with, with open arms. And that's just a really wonderful thing. When I went to Fabtech, 
you know, I went there on just a cheap terrain ticket without a place to sleep. Figured I'd just find a park bench and pass out there and it would be fine. And, you know, it was hypotherm heard me talking about that, joking around about it with Ray. And they said like, oh no, we'll get you a hotel room and mm-hmm. we're going to get you some equipment. Like, really? And then I had all these other companies start getting a hold of me saying like, we want to partner up with you. Like you're already using our equipment. You like this stuff. Like we want to like, you know, we'll get you some new equipment. The stuff you have is like ancient. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it was awesome. 20 years old when you bought it 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that's all really nice. But at the same time, it's like, uh, it's still one of those things where for me, like I'm still trying to come back out of, you know, all of that stuff that happened with, with the shutdown. And so like, I've got, you know, equipment coming in and things like that, but it's still like, uh, you know, money is, it's tight. And yeah, if, uh, if anybody ever asked me to do anything, I'd, uh, yeah, I'd be game for anything. <laughs> nice. That's a good, it's a good mindset because that's what you've gone through your whole life is to yeah. try anything that life throws at you and see where it goes. And that's how you got to this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Find a way to make it work. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> sure. So what has your inbox been like ever since the show? Because Tom, <laughs> Tom talked to me and he goes, man, he said, you know, what is so surprising to me? I have had people all over the world message yeah. me. So yeah. is your, are you like blown away by like all the different people? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's been really cool. I mean, there's uh, you know, when I had the bike shop running, you know, I was selling a lot of them to Australia. So I had people that I knew a little bit from around the world from that. But, but yeah, now it's totally different because you have people, you know, saying like, I never even thought about metal art before, but now I'm in love with this idea. And you have a fan from South Africa or you have a fan from, from Germany. And yeah, it's coming from like literally all, all sides of the globe. And I just, I absolutely love that. Um, also getting, uh, is this a, is this like a, a kid-friendly show, like a PC kind of show? Yeah, or? you can know. Okay. You, yeah, you can say whatever you're gonna say. Say whatever. Okay. Yeah, you can well, say I've whatever. Also, also, also been also been getting a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of the uh, sexy stuff from from both sides. So a lot of <laughs> a lot of dick pics. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. yeah, that was a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, they're sliding into your DMs. Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Are you mm-hmm. you batting them off? <laughs> yeah 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 it's uh yeah it's interesting but uh but yeah flattering it's nice it's uh it's been a, a hell of a ride and it's and it's still going i feel like after being on that show it was kind of like one of those things where it's like yeah this is uh things are going to be different from here on out you know it's like the first day of the rest of your life yeah for sure yeah. i think that's awesome so they are gonna do uh a second um season right? Because I think I saw something that they that they were talking about a season two. Really? I, I actually have no idea about that. Um, as far as I knew, what they were doing was basically they made the show, they're going to put it out there and see how many people actually watch it. And so the first couple months, as far as what I knew would be the first couple months would dictate whether or not they made another season or not. But uh, maybe it was just gossip then. Probably, it it, probably it just been. gossip. It might have been, but it also might be the kind of thing where they saw they had enough views and they're gonna make a season two they might i i'm you know i went there i did the one show we filmed it but uh as far as anything else with it i i'm out of the loop yeah (laughs) not sure what they're doing i hope they do though have you have you ever heard of um 
skills usa and like these other like welding competitions like do you have any desire like because you said that you go to that scrap fest do you like that kind of pressure that that puts you in on the show like even though because it was challenging and at the end you know it was something that um lets you show what you were made of kind of yeah the that the funny thing about that is is uh like I actually really like that. I know a lot mm-hmm. of people that were on the show with me were like, I don't ever work like this. I don't like this. But the simple fact of the matter is nobody ever works like that. Yeah. And it was stressful and there was a lot going on. But but I like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't work like that. It's you know, and nobody works like that, but it's still like being thrown in and just having to come up with something and figure it out and just do it all as fast as you could it kind of created a situation where you started doing things that you wouldn't normally do and doing them in ways you wouldn't normally do them just to try and make something work. And so all of a sudden you start creating something and you're going so fast and trying to figure it out as quick as you can. At the end end of it, you're just almost like kind of surprised by what you did or, or, or how it turned out and thinking already about things that you might've done differently but it doesn't matter. You didn't do them differently. You didn't have the time to think about it. You just had to go and create something. And so I think limitations like breed creativity. If you only have these many, this many tools to do a job, if you only have this much time to do a job Mm -hmm. and you have to come up with that job and do it and figure it out all at once, like you just start to see things differently. I learned a lot on that show just through that simple process and I really enjoyed that aspect of it and that's one of the things I liked about scrap fest too is you know you'd go grab 500 pounds of metal out of a scrapyard and you only had an hour to do that like they'd blow an air horn and everything it was like a game show without tv cameras mm-hmm. like they'll blow an air horn and everybody just scatters into this the scrapyard and it's really cool because Friedland's is like a, a very old scrapyard has been there like um the guy who started Ari Olds Mm-hmm. like Oldsmobile yeah uh, he he used to go to the scrapyard in the 1800s and get metal out of there for building his like concept cars in his garage when he was wow. starting out yeah that's and interesting so it's it's an old scrapyard yeah and yeah. the funny thing is is it's right in the middle of the city which isn't normally where you'll find a scrapyard because no. the city kind of got built around it <laughs> so it was yeah. already there but it's still there and that's that's where this is taking place so you you've got just this really really cool history there and you yeah they blow an air horn you run in you just start grabbing up metal and throwing it in a bin and you can gather up to 500. And then after that hour, they blow the air horn again. You have to stop wherever you're at. Then they take those bins with fork trucks and they line them up on the scale. And if it weighs over 500 pounds, you get like three minutes to pull metal out of it until it weighs 500 pounds. And if that three minutes goes by and it's still not at 500, other people will start coming up and just grabbing random things out of there, whether you wanted that piece or not real bad and throwing Uh, them out until it weighs 500 pounds. There's this whole thing they have. And then, you got two weeks. You take all that back to your shop and you have two weeks to build something out of it, whatever you can come up with. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I really love the idea that you're doing something through those constraints. Again, like I said, you, it, it, it builds creativity. I've learned so much about the things that I do and how I do them and the way that I want to do them or any aspect of that, just through having to work through constraints and, and time crunches and yeah yeah scrap fest was a big part of that and then the show was even more so because of time constraints on that were were much tighter and uh and trying to uh come up with something 
that you could get done in that amount of time, knowing that you could get it done in that amount of time was very challenging. I think every single, every single piece I did was, was right down to the wire. And uh, yeah, and yeah I, lo I loved it. Yeah. I'd do it again. Yeah. Yeah. It I was exciting blast. to watch. Yeah. <laughs> it was exciting to be there. <laughs> yeah. It really came through. Like I remember like whenever it came out, I remember like, okay, this is cool. Like I, I know, I know her cause I knew Ray, but then, you know, what I loved is that it opened me up to people like yourself and that like, I would have never probably heard of you. And, you know, now I get to share your story and now you get to be a bigger part of, you know, the well.com community and stuff. And I know you're going to have some kind of impact with, with somebody who hears your story. So I'm excited to make that connection and, and I appreciate you coming on here. No, yeah, well, I appreciate you having me. And I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, that's, that's really the whole thing. I, I spent so much time knuckling down and trying to keep my shop going and build and create something that I didn't even realize there was this community out there. When I got to Fabtech and I started meeting people and mm -hmm. talking to people, I mean, I started making friends and started thinking to myself, like right off the bat, like I've been doing this wrong for so yeah. long now <laughs> because, because like there's this whole world out there Yep. that I didn't even know existed. And now all of a sudden I'm thrust into it and I'm part of it because of the show. And that was the greatest gift of that show. These people are amazing. And I'm, yeah, I'm talking to uh, Adam Dooling and, and he's actually going to be coming to my shop on Monday to, to help me, uh, you know, work out like all the details and like fine tune this plasma cutting machine that I just got and replace my old one with. And, nice. you know, it's just, it's the same thing. Like there's all these people out there that are just, just, I mean, he's an hour and a half away from me. I didn't even know he existed and he didn't know I existed. Yeah. You know, I had the guy from Bailey's tell me he, he was saying that he, he thought I must be living under a rock and how could I have not ever been on his radar because he's mm -hmm. been doing this for 20 years. And it's like, well, it's because I have been under a rock. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have yeah. a, I just a didn't spotlight. I was. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You needed a little spotlight, right? Yeah. So yeah. one question that I do want to ask you before we go is, so how did they find you for the show? Was it somebody that DM'd you on Instagram or, or yeah. were you referred? Okay. It was, it was Instagram. It was actually uh, that, and that, because of that, I thought it was fake. <laughs> okay. So did Tom. Yeah. Tom said the same yeah. thing. He was like, what is this? And then he kind of like made them like prove that they were like real. <laughs> and then yeah. he was like, okay, this is a real thing. Well, and so, the thing with Tom is he had over a hundred thousand followers on Instagram when, you know, before the show came out. So like, mm -hmm. for me, it was even more so like, I really thought it was a scam. Cause I had like 2000 followers. Mm -hmm. I'm like, there's no way you found me on Instagram with 2000 followers. Like how right. the hell could you have found me on here? Yeah. And the guy was like, no, no, no. We just, they, they put it, we, they've got people that are looking for people and that's like my job is to try and find people and I just went down a rabbit hole of hashtags and that's how I found your artwork and we have right. to have you on the show and it's serious and we're gonna fly out to California and and then they yeah and I had plane tickets and I was like yeah okay this is uh this is real that's the awesome. funny thing was at the same time I had actually was I had NBC wanted to put me on the show for making it uh which is that Amy Poller Nick Offerman were uh yeah the host of that show they wanted me to come out there to do that um but they were shooting the shows at the exact same time mm -hmm. and this is all just crazy to me because you know i'm going from just you know building things in my shop and putting out public sculptures and building motorcycles and things like that and then you know i mean i've had bikes and magazines and stuff but still like it was just all of a sudden you know this like 
okay, I've got these two TV shows that want me to be on their shows and I, and I've got 2000 followers on Instagram. How is this even real? Mm-hmm. And I, and I had to, uh, you know, pick between, between the two because the fact they were shooting at the same time. So, uh, yeah, it was, I mean, come on, it's metal shop masters. I'm a, I'm a metal artist. Like I, yeah. Yeah, it would be fun to meet. It would be really fun to meet Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler. I I love the both of them very much, but uh, I I can do can do much more uh, creative and wonderful things with metal than uh, than cotton balls and uh, coffee filters. (laughs) (laughs) Still would have been cool. I I I still like that show though. It's a good show. I'm not trying to talk bad about it. Making it is a great show, but but still, I think it sounds like it's third season. I don't know a lot of people that have heard of it. Netflix is you know. It's just the way that people watch TV now and, yeah. and a metal working show. I mean, I've always said all the years I've been doing scrap fest, I've said someone needs to put this on TV. Yeah. And the fact that somebody out in California, like JD, mm-hmm. he comes up with this idea and, and he not only comes up with this idea, but finds me. And I've been saying for years, someone needs to put scrap fest on TV. And here's someone that just randomly comes up with an idea thousands of miles away saying, Hey, I just came up with this idea. Oh, and by the way, like we we want you to be on the show, even though nobody knows who you are, and I have no idea how we even found you. That was yeah. it was like, yeah, this is crazy. So that was yeah. How can I say no to that? Yeah, it is the power of hashtags. There's yeah, right. <laughs> so I'm in uh, actually I'm in Pittsburgh, even though Weld.com, like our lab is down in Florida, and mm. um, one day I was thinking like I would really like to find somebody local like in Pittsburgh, that's a welder. So I could go like, you know, go look at their shop and I could like get some like footage of them welding for like yeah, our, sure, for sure. our social media and stuff. Cause then I won't have to bother everybody down in Florida all the time to send me stuff. I'd like to be a little bit more self-sufficient other than getting a welder and putting it in my garage and starting to do stuff myself, which is coming very soon. Hell yeah. Um, that's on hold. My husband didn't approve yet. I'm working on it. Every every episode I usually give a little update. Still still a hard no, but I'm working on hard it. Hard no on what? On getting a welder in the garage because it'll make a mess. Oh God. Who's your husband? Let me talk to him. <laughs> yeah, he, he knows. He doesn't have that much longer because if I keep talking about it, that's just pre- it means it's pretty much imminent. So he, he knows, but, yeah, um, I, yeah. so I use the hashtag Pittsburgh welding and I found this guy who is on um, the barefoot forge and he actually makes like Damascus wedding rings. Like you can actually go to his shop and a couple can go there and they can make their own wedding bands. Mm. And he's in the forging community, but he does welding classes. Like he'll do like, it could be like a date night thing. Like they could like make a welded rose together and they do some oh, forging and some yeah. welding. And nice. I would have never found him if I wouldn't have looked at the Pittsburgh welding hashtag. So maybe it was yeah. just, you know, may, that's why I tell people all the time to use the hashtags. Cause that is kind of like how you find people. Yeah. I mean, it really can be. And I, I to be honest with you, I'm still learning that stuff. I just recently learned that I could tag people in, uh, in posts, which I, I just tagged uh you guys in a yeah post. i saw <laughs> yeah, yeah the, but i didn't know i could do that before I'm, I'm still trying to learn this stuff yeah you'll get there i'm, just, I'm not very good with uh, computers you, you put some metal in my hands or or a paintbrush and and i could uh, make anything you want but but computers say they, they can confuse me a little <laughs> well why don't you go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you if they want to find your work sure yeah um well if you go to uh you can follow me on Instagram, and that's uh, at Ivan underscore Eiler, 
I-V-A-N underscore I-L-E-R. Mm-hmm. I'm on Facebook, but I never go on there. I, really, the only stuff you'll see on Facebook is stuff that I just click the button. Excuse me, that's stuff that I just click the button so it automatically goes to Facebook as well, mm-hmm. Instagram. But I'm trying to do TikTok, but God, that's a whole nother world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. And you, you, have a, you have a website too. Yep, the website is uh, ivanislerstudios.com. Um, also on YouTube, you can find me there as well. So nice. I'm trying to cover all the bases, but uh, I'd say, I would say, yeah, my uh, my website is where you could just kind of see what I'm doing, where I'm at, and you know, potentially buy artwork. Uh, Instagram's where you're going to see most of what I'm doing because that's really where I'm, you know, posting every day and trying to keep people up to date on what I have going on, and and I'm working on trying to do that with TikTok, but. Uh, bear with me (laughs) awesome all right well i appreciate you having me um until next week guys i will talk to you then thank you i appreciate you having me thank you this episode is brought to you by la quinta by window your work can take you all over the place like texas you've never been but it's going to be great because you're staying at la quinta by window their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead and after you can unwind using their free high-speed wi-fi tonight la quinta tomorrow you shine book your stay today at lq.com